You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, will you grab that and go with me to 2 John. 2 John this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. There are stacks of Bibles on the tables in the back of the room. You can grab one now or on your way out of worship today. That's our gift to you. And if you don't know your way around the Bible very well, no worries. The passage that we're going to study today will appear on the screen so you can follow along with us. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for His people. So listen carefully to these words from 2 John, verses 4 to 11. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. On Sunday mornings, we have been looking at John's letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And last week, we wrapped up our study of 1st John. But we need to return to the conclusion of 1st John before we proceed to the second letter. You know, if you look at the letters in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote the majority of them. And Paul basically concludes most of his letters the same way with some sort of a greeting, greet so-and-so-and-so-and-so, and he'll name a few people, and then his standard sign-off, grace be with you. And that's how Paul concludes his letters. Now John, he has his own way of concluding his letters, and at first glance, it seems rather odd. It seems abrupt and out of the blue. Here's the final verse of 1 John. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Now, the reference to children here, he's talking to the church. He's speaking as a, a spiritual father, but it's pretty, it's pretty abrupt. You know, there's no, like, that's just it, the end. You roll the credits, no, no post-credits scene, no P.S. at the end, just little children. Keep yourselves from idols. But what's particularly odd is this is the first time in the whole letter, the whole letter, that John has said anything about idols. He's not used the word once until this final verse of the letter. 
Karen Jobes, who is a New Testament scholar, in her commentary on John's letters, she argues with persuasive power, I think, that this is not some out-of-the-blue, random tangent. Rather, this is actually a summary of the whole letter. The whole letter. See, what has John been talking about in virtually every chapter of 1 John? He's been warning us about deceptive teaching. Deceptive teaching in the world. Deceptive teaching even in the church. Karen Jobes argues that these deceptive teachings, that's what John has in mind when he talks about idols. Keep yourselves from idols. So see, here's the point. John is not concerned. He's not worried about the church bowing down to idols in the form of statues. John is concerned about the church bowing down to idols in the form of ideas. Little children, keep yourselves from the idol of ideas. You see, an idol can be anything. Anything we chase, cherish, trust more than God himself. With his final words in his first letter, John looks to the church and he says, Don't bow down to those idols, those ideas of your day that seek to draw you away from God. Don't submit to them. Don't bow down to them. Now it's this concept that he will develop even more in his second letter. Look at the very beginning of 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. This is John writing again. He refers to himself here as the elder. This was a widely uh, known title. It's a title of authority. Again, he's writing as a spiritual father or as an elder. He's writing to the elect lady and her children. This is a metaphorical way of saying that he's writing to the church. The church is sometimes referred to as the bride of Christ. John is using similar language here. So it's John the Apostle, the eyewitness of Jesus, writing to a church. Now, my son on the way to a church this morning asked me, Dad, why did John write a second letter? Like, didn't he say enough in the first one? You know, why, why did he need to send that second letter? Good question, right? The picture we get as we piece these letters together is that as John is writing and ministering in the first century world, there were different pockets of Christians living in different places within a larger region. John himself was functionally the pastor of one of those Christian communities, one of those churches. First John is the letter, or better yet, the sermon, that he delivered to those Christians that he knew well. He was walking the streets with them. Second John is a letter that he wrote and sent to outlying areas. So here's the picture. John lives in Tampa. First John is his sermon delivered to the Christians in Tampa. Second John is a letter written to the Christians in Seminole. Well, why did John need to write to those Christians in Seminole? Because the deceivers, the false teachers that John warned about so often in his first letter, those deceivers were going out as missionaries. They were traveling. They were spreading their ideas. The problems they had encountered in Tampa, they were now making their way to Seminole. 
And so John writes this letter, 2 John, to say something about those deceivers. 2 John is a short, but as we will see, it's a stout letter. Short, it's only about 200 words in the Greek text. The heart of the letter is contained in verses 7 to 11. And in these verses, John will teach us three things. He'll teach us first something about the error. The error. What, what was it about these deceivers and their teaching? What was it that was so problematic? The error. Secondly, he'll teach us about the danger. Why is this type of teaching so dangerous? And third, he'll give us the answer. How should we respond to similar deceptive teaching today? So the error, the danger, and the answer. First, the error. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now that should cause us to remember what John said if we were listening carefully back in 1 John chapter 2 when he warned us many antichrists have come. Now I know that books and films of our day, especially things like the Pacino film, The Devil's Advocate, they have conditioned us to be looking for the antichrist. Like this one mega villain character that will rise to power at the end of time. And I know that makes for a thrilling book and a thrilling movie, but listen, it's just not what the Bible teaches on the subject. The only occurrences of the term antichrist in the Bible are in 1st and 2nd John. The only occurrences are in 1st and 2nd John. And look, see for yourself, it's not singular, it's plural. Many antichrists. And it's not future it's present. Many antichrists have come. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Such a person is the deceiver, the antichrist type. John is talking about not some mega villain who will rise to power at the end of time. He's talking about people. Normal looking people who are deceiving the church and the world. Now, why doesn't he just call them deceivers then? Why call them antichrists? Well, think about it. He's not writing about a mega villain, but he is going for mega clarity. And could he have possibly made it more clear? These people are anti Christ, they are anti Jesus. I know they might use the name Jesus, they might affirm certain things about Jesus, and probably that's exactly why he calls them antichrist, because he wants them to see, the early Christians to see, don't be deceived by the fact that they use Jesus' name, or maybe affirm certain things about him. They're not teaching the truth of the gospel, and therefore they are anti-Jesus. What exactly was it that they were denying they do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. In other words, the heart of the gospel, the belief that Jesus is the Son of God, fully God, fully man, he came to this earth to die for us, and he was raised. 
that truth they're denying. And so it doesn't matter what else they do say about Jesus because they've gotten this fundamental point wrong. This was the error that John was dealing with in his day. Now, there will be many errors in our day. And to spot them, to identify the deceivers of our day, we need to remember those five ways of testing. We talked about these back in 1 John chapter 4. If you missed that day, you can find the full message on our YouTube channel. Let me just give you a very quick recap. Five questions we should ask of every messenger and message that we encounter today. And we should ask them in this order. The first one is the Christological or the gospel test. And the question that accompanies this test is, what does this person claim about the identity and the ministry of Jesus? Now notice the question is not, do you believe in Jesus? That's an insufficient question. John could have asked that question in his day and the deceivers would have said, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, sure. Believe all sorts of things about him. But they denied the very heart of the gospel. So don't ask, do you believe in Jesus? That's an insufficient question. Rather, ask, what does this person claim about the identity and ministry of Jesus? That's the first question. The second one, the biblical test. Is this person's message consistent with the apostles' teaching, which is contained in the Bible. So is this preacher, teacher, whoever, are they teaching something that is consistent with God's Word? The third test is the moral test. Does this person's life showcase the transformative power of the gospel? Do I see that the gospel has taken root in this person's life and changed them? Fourth is the communal test. What do other believers in my Christian community think of this person's message? So if a new church pops up in town, a new preacher-teacher comes to town, a new resource is published, and you know it strikes you as a little bit odd. You just feel like there's something a bit off about it. One of the things you could and in fact should do is you should go to some of your Christian brothers and sisters and say, hey, what do you... What do you think about this, this new church, this new preacher, teacher, this new resource? Just make sure that you're going to people who think with their Bibles open. People who think with their Bibles open. That's the key. That's the communal test. And then lastly, the historical test. Is this person's message consistent with the faithful expositions of Scripture we find throughout church history? See, there have been so many faithful readers of the Bible who have gone before us. We can learn from them. So when there's some new teaching in town, take it to some of these faithful interpreters of old and see if the message is consistent. We need to know to ask these five questions or apply these five tests. That's how we will be able to discern the errors of our day. So there's the error. Now, second, John also tells us about the danger. Why is it that this type of teaching is so very dangerous? Look at what he says in verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Now, we know the teaching 
We know the teaching is dangerous because of what John says at the very beginning of verse 8. It's the first command or imperative of this letter. Watch yourselves. This is a big deal. Watch yourselves. Be on guard. Let your guard down and the result will be ruin. Ruin for your family, for your church family. Destructive things happen. Watch yourselves so that, he tells us why, so that you may not lose what we have worked for. Meaning, the community of God's people. The mission of God's people. God's people who have been saved by the truth and then sent out to share that truth with the world. Do you realize that families have been destroyed? Preschools have been destroyed? Churches, even whole denominations, have been destroyed because they lost their grip on the truth? Look, I know we're sort of on the the mountaintop right now at Faith Church. A lot of things are going well. We've got a lot to be thankful for. But we must be sure that we keep our grip on the truth. This warning applies to us. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for. And how is it that churches and denominations come to lose their grip on the truth? John tells us one of the ways it happens. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. This phrase goes on ahead. John is showing us how the deceivers work on us. This is how they cause us to lose our grip. Not always by attacking the truth outright. Not always by coming with a very bold statement and claiming that what we believe to be true has always been false, always will be false. No, no, no. That's that's not the, the tactic. Here's the tactic. It goes something like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was true. That was definitely true. Back then. Back then. But don't you know, we've evolved. We've gone beyond that. Our view of marriage and family, what we know about creation, because now we've got science, we've progressed. We've progressed. That's the very thing John warns us about here. This idea of a progressive teaching, going beyond or ahead, not abiding or remaining in the teaching of Christ. And here's why it's so dangerous. Because when our thinking evolves beyond the teaching of Jesus, we've left God. That's what he says in verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. That's why it's dangerous. So there's the error. It's clear. There's the danger. It's real. So now, what do we do about it? How should we respond to similar deceptive ideas today? That's where John goes in closing. 
And here, I want us to spend a considerable amount of our time interpreting and applying the final few verses. This will be important. Let's look now at the answer. What should we do when we meet similar deceptive teachings today? Verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, meaning the gospel, the biblical teaching, the teaching of Jesus... If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, why why is John so curt here, so blunt? Don't even give them a greeting. Why is he like that? We have to remember the historical context here. It's important. Remember, this is the first century. John, he's the pastor in Tampa. He's writing this letter to the Christians who live over in Seminole because they got some problems. But remember that in the first century, those Christians in Seminole, they they don't have a phase one campaign going on. They're not raising money to expand their preschool They're not talking about the reconfiguration of their campus because they have no campus. They have no campus, no worship center, no sanctuary. In the first century, Christians met in homes. They relied on the few wealthy people in the church who were homeowners who could provide a meeting space for their regular times of worship. So in that setting, to welcome someone into your home would be to give them a ready-made audience. What John is trying to say here is, don't give these deceivers, these false teachers, a platform. Don't give them a platform. Do not give them a non-critical ear. Do not support their ministry. Do not spread their ideas. Do not receive them into your house. Now, as I was reading this passage this week and praying and thinking through this text, it struck me that in some ways, I think John's first century readers had it harder than us. They had it harder than us because they didn't have access to the truth, to good, solid theological sources in the way that you and I do. Now, they didn't have podcasts and Bible apps. Heck, they didn't even have all the books of the Bible collected into one nice volume yet. So they didn't have the access to the truth that you and I do in this country. We should be thankful for that. So on one hand, they had it harder than us. But in another way, I think they had it a little easier. Because you see, for them, identifying a deceiver, it was a pretty straightforward thing. Because the deceivers in John's day typically were unmediated. Meaning, it was a flesh and blood person standing at your door. You could see them, you could lock the door, and they went away. It was pretty uncomplicated, right? Now, in our day... In our day, 
The deceivers, they don't come in through the doors. They come in through our devices. They come in through our devices. They don't need you to unlock your door. They just need you to unlock that device and let your guard down. And before you know it, they have infiltrated your house. See, I think we need to feel the application of this verse by paraphrasing it like this. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him through your devices. Do not like and subscribe. Friends, we need to start developing some defenses. Because again, they don't need you to unlock your door. They just need you to unlock your device and let your guard down. So we need to to develop some defenses, understanding, and listen to me, I'm not anti-technology, all right? I'm not arguing that you should live your life with no technology. I don't live my life that way. I'm not arguing that you should do that. But I do think it's important that we understand that technology teaches us. Our devices seek to disciple us. Screens will shape you. That's the point I'm trying to make here. And if we believe that to be true, then we need some defenses. Every couple of years, I dust this book off and I reread it and I re-recommend it because it really is that good. It's the best resource I have come across personally that deals with this subject. And it's not a fat book. It's not a tough read. It's a short read, but it's got a big impact. It's called The Tech-Wise Family. The Tech-Wise Family. Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. The Tech-Wise Family by Andy Crouch. I highly recommend this to you, but because I want you to walk away with more than just a book to read, I want to give you three actionable takeaways this morning. Do read the book. It will help you, but also keep listening. Here are three things you can do right now, right now in the context of your home, to help build some of those defenses as these deceivers are trying their best to work their way into your home through your devices. Three things you can do. First, eliminate passive screen time. Eliminate passive screen time. Think about it. Think about how much time you and your family waste on screens when you're really not accomplishing anything. We just turn on the TV or the tablet or the video game for background noise. We sit there mindlessly playing on social media sometimes for hours. Replace that passive screen time session. Replace it with something that will form you in a positive way. Study God's Word. Read a great book. Do you remember books? Like real ones made of trees. Do you remember trees? 
those tall green things outside. Eliminate the passive screen time. That's one thing you can do. Now, this one is a big one, and it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Eliminate or at least reduce unaccompanied screen time. If there was one thing I could say to parents today, it would probably be this. And I've been trying to think of a way that I can state the point so that you'll understand the seriousness of it. So here's what I think I want to say. Parents, grandparents, guardians, giving your child, your elementary school or middle school age child, giving your child free reign on a device is more dangerous than giving them a loaded handgun to play with. It's more dangerous. The reason I say that is because that handgun can destroy the body. But that device and the deceivers behind it, you got to see them, they're there. The deceivers behind it, they can destroy the soul. It's more dangerous. The damage just is not as sudden. Now, parents, let's be honest, all right? Let's be honest with each other. I'll be honest with you, you be honest with me. We don't give our children devices to make their lives easier. We give our children devices to make our lives easier. So let's stop lying about it. Let's just be honest. And you know what? Let's, let's repent. Let's make some changes. I'll repent. I've got my own repenting to do on this front. I hadn't figured out this whole parenting thing. So I'm going to lead the line of repentance. But I'm asking you to come with me. Let's make some changes. It's not too late. It's not too late. The best time to start building these defenses is when your children are very, very young. They can't even walk or talk yet because they can't talk back. It's the best time to do it. But listen to me. There is no bad time to do it. It's not too late. Eliminate the unaccompanied screen time. No free reign. No free reign. And here's the last one. Reduce social screen time. Social screen time. Let's have some good old-fashioned conversations. Let's teach our children and our grandchildren how to look someone in the eye and shake their hand. Right? Eliminate that social screen time, or at least reduce it. And one final thing I want to say on this subject. Parents, as we're building these defenses in our homes, there will also be times that we need to teach our children, or again our grandchildren, how to spot the deceivers for themselves. I talked about this in this past week's episode of Midgard, and I used the example of the latest Fantastic Beasts movie. I won't go into that this morning. If you're interested, you can listen to the Midgard podcast from this past Wednesday. But the point I want to make in closing is there will be times when we, parents and fathers, you especially, we will need to say to our child or, child or children, do you see this deceiver? Do you see 
this deceptive idea. So it's a lot like, think of it this way, it's a lot like using the spy hole in the front door. What was it that John said a couple of verses ago? If someone comes to you and they're not bringing the gospel teaching, don't welcome them into your home. So as parents, here's what we do. When the deceivers come around, when the lies come creeping, we keep the door locked. But as our children get older, we bring them with us to the front door, safely inside the house. And we say, son, daughter, look through this spy hole in the door. Do you see what I see out there? That person... That product, that idea, you see it? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it together because one day, maybe a long time from now, one day you will have your own front door and you will have to decide for whom you will open it. Martin Luther, the great reformer, He once said this, We cannot stop the birds from flying overhead, but we can stop them from nesting in our heads. You cannot and I cannot stop all the deceivers from spreading their lies throughout the world, but there is very much we can do to keep them out of our homes and out of our hearts. Think on that. Will you pray with me? Our good and gracious, sovereign, heavenly Father. This passage that we've studied today, well, it's been a convicting one. It has not been easy to hear has not been easy to preach. But God, because we trust you, we know this is a message we need to hear. For those of us who have developed some bad habits in our homes, in our lives, especially when it comes to devices and the ideas that are communicated through those, We ask for your help today. First of all, we confess to you that we've made some mistakes. We didn't intend to. But nonetheless, we've made some mistakes. We ask you to give us the courage and the wisdom to make the changes that we need to make in the days ahead. We so desire for our families to be protected. There are many deceptive ideas in our world today, just as there were in John's day. Many deceivers have gone out into the world God, we need your help in keeping our grip on the truth, remaining committed to your word, 
and we need your help in protecting our families. God, as we transition now into this celebration of communion together, we remember the gospel and all that it means. Most importantly, it means that Jesus, because of you, we have forgiveness. I have forgiveness for all of my parenting mistakes. I have forgiveness for the times that I have been deceived. All of us who look to you, Jesus, we have forgiveness. We thank you for that. For your sacrifice on the cross and our place for our sins. For your victory over death that brings us new life. It begins now and extends forever. We celebrate that good news today. In Jesus' name, amen.